0: Welcome to the Pink Tax Podcast, a no-nonsense podcast for millennial women, building wealth and smashing the patriarchy, $1 at a time, with your host, Janine Intero. Tara. How's it going?
1: Good. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. You know, living the dream. How about yourself?
1: Yeah. I mean, today we're talking about homeownership and we bought our house kind of a year before the pandemic and you ended up selling your house during the pandemic. So I feel like, Mm -hmm. you know, we're enjoying, well, enjoying maybe a stretch of a word, but I'm glad we're not in a small apartment during this pandemic.
0: Yeah, I mean, same, um, turns out I like my husband a lot more than, you know, maybe we would have expected. We work really well side by side and with a kid at home most of the time. So yeah, but I think it's good to have individual spaces for sure, for sure.
1: So what are we talking about when it comes to home ownership? Maybe. I was thinking maybe we could just start with your experience of selling your house during the pandemic.
0: Sure, I mean, well, because prices in the market in Calgary went absolutely bonkers. Um, it was really, really painless. It sold within hours of being listed. And I like, I kid you not, we accepted an offer and then people kept seeing it. Like, I don't know why, um, yeah. That's
1: wild within hours
0: yeah yeah it was like we had like three or four showings and then they're like there's an offer and um yeah yeah I mean I, and I think that's a lot of people I've heard from people who are trying to um you know maybe get a single family and move out of a condo like that kind of thing um because they're finding like it is too little space if you have two people working from home um that houses are being sold before they they can even go to see them um so i thought it was a lot faster of a market but prices really didn't increase as much as you would expect for um the amount of houses being moved i don't think in calgary at least but i've heard like in other markets like Kelowna, there's also a huge price increase as well
1: damn it that's where i want to go live
0: Yeah. Also, so does everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So does everyone.
1: So did you end up breaking even on your house? Um, Because when did you buy that house?
0: (sighs) We bought it in 2016. I would still consider it a loss. I mean, this is the thing. People have so many different ways of um, looking at housing and stuff like that. Like we we did some work to it. We weren't quite finished because we had started this project like right before we ended up moving um so it was just like kind of poor timing but um yeah I think I would have considered it a loss also even if you look at it from the way like oh yeah you made like one percent or whatever like that off of your down payment like what could we have made in the market with that if we had invested it differently you know, even if we wanted to be invested in housing, like we could have looked at um, something that was exposed to to real estate, even Canadian real estate, and probably done a lot better. Not have had any maintenance costs, not have had any renovation costs or anything like that. So, it it all depends on you how you look at it. So I would consider it as a loss, but I'm not sure how many people actually look into you know subtracting maintenance and um and that kind of stuff with it so
1: and so you sold your house because you moved cities
0: yep yeah and so now we rent we ended up moving and renting before selling and then we had the renovations like finished up while we weren't living there so we ended up moving when the rental market was down and the housing market was down and then we ended up selling once it was back up again which is really, really great, except for renovations cost more because lumber, everything like that went up. Right. Well, whatever. You win some, you lose some. Um, but it worked out really well because I don't think we would have been able to find a rental that um, we enjoyed had we moved at peak market, like had we moved when we sold our house. Yeah, we would have ended up either having to buy again, which we really didn't want to do, or be living in something that was not ideal given our family size and our lifestyle so
1: and you're enjoying renting?
0: Yeah, it's a lot it's a lot less to think about. You don't have to think about the long term as much. If we want to move into something else, if an opportunity comes up to live elsewhere, to move across the country, to get into a different industry or something like that, we can. Really love the neighborhood if it works out to stay, like maybe we'll buy something in here if If we want to, or maybe we'll just rent here long term. Um, But the rent is like very reasonable um, for what we have, and the school is walkable. Uh, I ended up selling my car, got a bicycle instead. Like it's great.
1: You sold your car.
0: I did. Yeah, wasn't using it. I like honestly, even since I sold it, I yeah. I've only been in the garage like three times since I sold it too. So sometimes I forget that it's like not there anymore. And I'm like, ah, my car. And then I'm like, oh, wait, no, I gave it away.
1: So how many vehicles do you have for your family now?
0: Just the one. And like, honestly, it's just for emergency use. And so we might trade that in for something else. But I mean, I'm not a fan of cars either.
1: Get a Tesla.
0: Not a Tesla but an electric vehicle would be great. Here's the thing that pisses me off about us moving. So we had torn down the I thought you're going to say so here's there.
1: the thing that pisses me off about Elon Musk and I was like
0: <laughs> Oh no, I'm not on, on <laughs> that tangent. Um but here's the thing that pisses me off about us kind of being forced to to move and selling our house was the right choice. Like I don't want to be a landlord again. We tore down the garage, we built a brand new garage to the way that I wanted it, we had it all like wired up for an electric vehicle, we had all this um, shit put in that I really, really wanted, and then it's like, and now I don't get to fucking use it, and that's what bothers me. Other than that, though, like I can just wait a little bit for an electric vehicle.
1: i are heard good things about the Nissan Leaf.
0: yeah. I don't know. I hate I hate cars. Like here's the oh, thing. Same. I hate cars. I hate car shopping. I'm pretty much it took me 6 months to find the last car and I had it for 10 years and if somebody hadn't made me an offer on it, I probably just would have kept it until it fell to pieces. I hate car shopping.
1: Same. We only have one vehicle as well, but it's feeling very small with our family even though it's an SUV when um, or you know traveling places like even just like to visit family maybe it's just like the stage of life we're at like I feel like there's so much shit to pack for a little kid
0: there is there's a lot so right now we're down to it this is not related to housing at all but we'll do this real mm. quick two-door hatchback no. um with a car seat and then wanting to like um carry stuff about like camping stuff or bicycles or whatever it does make it a little bit different uh, difficult but I don't know I'm pushing for like a roof rack and a bike rack but I think even my husband's like we could we could do with a little bit bigger so
1: yeah maybe we just need to wait until our little one's a little bit older and he won't need as many things packed
0: yeah it depends (laughs)
1: because <laughs> it's like the jolly jumper and the circle of neglect and like all the things for him circle
0: of neglect
1: that's, <laughs> that's what the mommy bloggers call it so every morning oh, i'm I like don't. time for your circle of neglect
0: oh that's terrible <laughs> whatever So weird. okay but yeah um, okay back to housing back to housing selling during like a mad rush of people wanting to buy single family homes i guess is not the worst thing ever
1: Well, and it's nice that you don't have to worry about also buying something during that, right? Like,
0: yeah, exactly. It's
1: it's good if you can sell at the height, but if you also have to buy at the height, it's kind of a moot point, right?
0: Exactly. Then you're kind of losing. Um, Yeah. So the transition for us like worked out really well. Renting when it's a little bit lower um, and signing like a longer lease during that time is also kind of a win. What else? Moving during a pandemic is really fucking shitty. I think we had anxiety for like the two weeks afterwards because we had people mm. like moving our stuff, setting up our stuff, like wearing masks, but like huffing and puffing and like you know, yeah, it was just that that part of it was like a huge nightmare. Um, but yeah, otherwise, otherwise it's fine. Personally, I don't know if I love it in like the aggregate like how everything's going in Canada. What are your impressions of the housing market right now?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm glad it was a relatively positive experience for you, pandemic aside, but um, it's wild to me how much the price of housing has gone up. Like the average cost of housing across Canada is now above $700,000, which uh, like that just, I don't even have words. That's so much. And when you look at the average salary, like what? It's just so wild when you compare it to, you know, like even our parents' generation, right? Like my parents' first house was like hundred, dollars $140,000, which was like three times their family income or four maybe. And now, you know, we're looking at things that are like 14 times our family income
0: just the amount that it's like increased since we owned our first place to now is unbelievable and I don't actually see that the rents like have gone up in the same way like it seems like it's a lot harder to buy a house than it is to rent a house and I have kind of some thoughts on why that might be that is if you can find a house to rent
1: Yeah. Let's, let's jump into that. Cause I think one thing for us when we were moving from where we were renting was, um, or I guess a couple of things was a lot of condo buildings. Like we knew we wanted to have a kid. So a lot of condo buildings did not allow, um, children they're 18 plus, which is whole other issue. So then when we were looking at renting, we were finding some places were saying no kids, um, but for the rent, for the type of house we were looking at, um, the, the mortgage started to make a little bit of sense um, in, the, in the sense that houses or townhouses, in my opinion, are a lot more expensive to rent than, or at least in Calgary, than just like a two-bedroom apartment.
0: hmm Yeah, the price jump when we were looking in Calgary and looking at rent versus buying, um, the price jump between like what I've now learned is like a built-for-purpose rental versus a townhouse duplex or single family is absolutely ridiculous. Here's a question for you.
1: Let's just back up for a second. What is a built-for-purpose home that you just spoke about?
0: Built-for-purpose rental is like a a unit, low-rise or high-rise, that's more than six units. So if you have a low-rise, and so sometimes you see them, they're like row houses, so they're technically townhouses, but you'll be in one of the communities that's like all row house, like six put together, like little Legos, like boop, 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 Um, or you'll have, um, and it doesn't matter if it's fancy or not fancy or whatever, so you could have something that looks like a boardwalk-style rental or you could have something that's like mostly owner-occupied um but it's like a bunch of one two-bedroom condos like not a lot of three bedrooms those are built for purpose rentals Mm -hmm. okay yeah yeah so where i was going with that was um how many people do you think like as a percentage of canadians how many people do you think own Two houses, even though our average housing price is like, what, $700,000, did you say? Which seems yes. like exorbitant for most people.
1: So two properties?
0: At minimum, two properties.
1: <sighs> I'm so really disappointed with this number. Um, I would like to think it's under
0: 10%. It is. so Well, as of t- 2018. So maybe this will increase. So about 1000000 Canadian individuals, this does not a, account for large corporations doing rentals, um, own a second property. So in our like biggest centers, in knowing that it's 8% across Canada, how many as a percentage do you think of people in Toronto own more than one property?
1: I mean i want it to be under 10 percent <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. you're going to be disappointed oh shit it is one in five people um own more than two properties so holy shit Yeah, (laughs) yeah. so one in five people in one of the most expensive metropolitan areas own more than one property. Again, this, to my knowledge, what I found on CMHC in 2018, this is not based on the boardwalks that I don't know any other big rental companies, but those walks. This is like... You and me making lots of money, spending it on real estate, or getting into the market early. So, if you took all of Ontario and you know that 8% Canada wide own two properties, one in five in Toronto, so 20% in Toronto, multiple property owners. Of the multiple property owners in all of Ontario, 100%, how many of those are in? Toronto itself, do you think?
1: I'm gonna be disappointed with this number also. Yeah. I have no idea.
0: 50%? like pretty close. It's 43%. So of all the multiple property owners in all of Ontario, which has a variety of housing markets, the most expensive housing market holds 50% of the multiple. So there's a lot of people renting these places out. Okay, so Vancouver is basically the same. Vancouver holds 54% as of 2018 of all the multiple home ownerships in all of BC. So like wow. that's a shit ton of speculation.
1: So it's a lot of, that's a lot of speculation, but that's a lot of rich people dumping.
0: That's a lot of rich people owning rentals. And I think, I think that would drive up the price. Oh, 100% larger metropolitan areas which is where more and more of the jobs are which is where like us younger folk if we're thinking if we're able to even have children like that's where we would have to be like no wonder so many of us like live in the fucking verbs in the middle of nowhere and have like a 45 minute commute this is unsustainable your choice is rent a built-for-purpose unit that some guy who also has two or three other houses or a fucking boardwalk rental, which we know is like not great because all of.
1: There's so many problems with rental companies. Don't even get me started.
0: Yeah. Well, and I assume like when we were in like university or just like getting into our careers and stuff, we've all dealt with those kind of places, right? Like this doesn't even include them. This is individual Canadians. Like, holy fuck. Yeah to be a bit crude, like, it just seems like they have us by the balls here. And so then, like, if we try to break into these markets and get something or, like, put pressure on builders to build, like, more family-friendly communities in these cities, like, of course we don't get it. We've got a bunch of rich people that own 50% of the city.
1: Jeez. Yeah. And that, you know, that goes back to... We've talked about this before, but like wealth inequality. So, you know, like the top quartile of people have how much percent of the wealth? It's like something stupid, like 80%. Um, and this just like further perpetuates it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like you have some good news, right? Because like they've changed the mortgage rules again to like make it easier. And maybe it won't mean that us like millennials and Zoomers are not like you know stuck with a shit ton of debt that we'll never be able to pay off in terms of home ownership and um our schooling that we were all told we were supposed to take it's good right it's good news well
1: <laughs> i mean i don't necessarily think the new mortgage rules are a good idea uh some of them some of them i think okay are a step in the right direction i think there's a lot more we need to do because i feel like I'm going to generalize and say millennials have a warped sense of what success is. And that is because our parents told us, we need to buy houses and that is not success. We do not need to own a house to be successful. We do not need to own a house to make money. Um, there are, there are some really wealthy renters and there is actually a book called the wealthy renter, I believe by Alex Avery. I I read it a couple of years ago and you know, it's not the same situation that our parents were in and that means that you know success is not defined by the same things that they define success as which would be homeownership in this case but to dive into the new mortgage rules that was like a side tangent um they have increased I guess the stress test um so as it stands now, you have to be able to qualify for your mortgage at the offered rate from your financial institution plus 2% or 5.25%, whichever is higher. So I think that's the first time we've seen a whichever is higher, which is probably good um, because mortgage or because interest rates are just so low right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Experts Whoever those people are, are estimating that this will uh, lower home buyers' purchasing power by four to 5%. So, I guess what that means from a math perspective is if you're buying a $700,000 house, because that's the average, uh, you will, I guess, not be able to buy $35,000 worth of home. So, you'll have to lower your I guess parameters for your mortgage by $35,000.
0: okay but this is going to this is going to include everyone that needs to qualify for a home right like if you put 20% down as is the constraint if you wanted to buy a second property you must have 20% down um, these are like straight across the board because the first stress test was not it only accounted for insured mortgages which meant you had to have less than 20 percent down so not a hundred and forty thousand dollars if i'm doing the mental math on that correctly
1: so actually the stress test rules have been in place since around 2018 um, that actually required all mortgages to be qualified under the stress test regardless of how much you had down so that part of it isn't necessarily new, but um, the increase in the rate or the whichever is higher is is the new part. And I guess they're hoping that it will, as this one article said, dampen the current frenzy in the real estate market.
0: Well, I certainly hope so, because like another few things that I was looking into um, was that so. Yeah, so that's about 1.6%. And then we have we have 1.6 million people living in unsuitable, inadequate, or unaffordable housing. So they have houses, but they're either spending more than 30% of their income or the place is shit. Um, we also have 235,000 only Canadians are completely homeless. So if we put those two together, we get about, like, 2% of total Canadians. Wow. But we have, like, 20% of the market in Toronto is, like, someone's second property, right? And then we have in Toronto, so you would assume, like, a pretty, like, very, very low vacancy rate, right? Like yeah. Toronto has a vacancy rate of 2.6%. So someone's holding on to this, but they're also like not willing to let the rental price drop. And one would assume like the property value in terms of like resale drop enough to allow like someone who is unhoused or inadequately housed to access this property. And across all of Canada, we only have a vacancy rent of about a uh, rate of about three. 0.2% as of 2020 so we literally have enough houses to house everyone so this like rise in housing pro- prices is like to me and I know I've said this all season thus far but like very very speculative but I don't think like to very rich people who can already afford two properties in Toronto I don't think saying hey like what if we bumped you up to 5% I don't think that's going to cut it like do you?
1: No. I don't. Um but there so there's actually some I guess some things being floated around in the real estate community that they may look at getting rid of capital gains if prices continue to soar. Like the capital sorry, the capital gains exemption on on principal residence um, because of exactly that. There's these people holding on to these properties and then they sell one and then they say, well, it was my principal resident residence for those years, because you can dictate which um, house mm-hmm. was your principal residence um, for whichever years, I guess your capital gain per year is higher. Um, mm-hmm. So they may mm-hmm. get rid of that altogether, which I think would be a lot better than the qualifying at 5%
0: yeah, I think if there's like enough folks that are that have invested early or have invested in these like highly speculative markets like in Toronto and Vancouver, where you see, you know, increases of a hundred, two hundred thousand. like when the markets there get really hot, it's not um it's not even what we really see in Calgary in terms of like the bump in in increase in prices, right? Um, so I think if it's like, you know, I feel like we know that like most most people like on average, because there are a bunch of smaller towns like losing money on their property. Right. Um, Or even places where like work has dried up. Um, Yeah, you could just say, you know, we've determined that you should only make 2% year over year on your property at a maximum. And if you make more than that, capital gains. I think that would do a lot for it, honestly. Like, yeah,
1: you're not wrong there. Yeah. Like set a rate. And then
0: I think it's just bonkers that we have. And again, like this is, I guess the vacancy rates are based off of fit for purpose. So the vacancy rates are based off of the bigger companies. Um, and then the multiple properties are based off of like smaller landlords. But still, we have enough vacant property across the entire country that everyone could have a house. And not only that everyone could have a house, but if your house is shitty, you could just, like, get a better one. Like, isn't that fucked up? And then we have a bunch of people like you and me that, like, even though housing in larger metropolitan places is, is, like, completely unaffordable, you literally have to be in the 1%. You cannot be in the top 10%, and you cannot be in the top 5% to afford a reasonable house in Toronto,
1: Oh, 100%. If I had to move to Toronto or Vancouver, we, I would have to be paid like a substantial amount more to be able to afford what we live in here.
0: Yeah. And another interesting thing I found is that 32% of Canadians do not own any property whatsoever. So we really have, um, anytime the housing prices go up, it's literally only a win for the richest, richest Canadians. Or large corporations, it's not a win for like anyone else. So if anyone said that, you know, um, getting rid of the principal residency or principal residence exemption, pardon me, or putting some sort of cap on it would somehow hurt, you know, the grandma that had a property in Vancouver and you know retired there, and like it would hurt her children or her. you know when the property finally sold it's actually not going to the people that that would target would be the richest people because if you own two houses in vancouver like you're you're doing all right
1: Mm -hmm. totally yeah and i think on that too i was just pulling up a company that i've seen a lot of good things from here in calgary they're they're they do need they being everyone there needs to be more multi-use buildings for housing and um, a company here in Calgary actually and they're they're expanding to Winnipeg. It's called Round Square. I don't know if you've heard of them. We, we looked at buying in one of their buildings but you know they do a lot of um, multi like multi-family. I don't know if that's the right word. So like there will be like a one bedroom and then like a townhouse and then like a three bedroom and then a two bedroom. And, and so that you're getting lots of different types of people living in um, that type of uh, community. And, you know, that is better for our, our society. And so that, you know, if grandma needs to move into a one bedroom, you know, maybe there's a family with a young kid that can help her with her groceries or whatever that lives nearby. Diverse housing, I think, is the word I'm looking for.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is going to, like, out me as who I am as a person, but I listen to, since we talked about cars, I listened to a podcast called The War on Cars, and there is this, like, paradise community that's been built in the United States where um, they do have those multi, uh, like, different types of family units um, all built. And they're kind of like the little Lego blocks, right? Mm-hmm. But it's instead of having the parking right in front, they have all the parking got moved to one side of it. So literally you park your car on one side of your community. Then you walk to your house. Your place could be a three-bedroom townhouse. Your neighbor could be have a one-bedroom. You know, someone next to you could have a two-bedroom. You... Um, you know you can bicycle everywhere your kids can like run out and play so you have like a, like yeah a, a diverse demographic of um people living there already like built in and you have a safe space for your kids to play like already built in or a safe space for like your your senior neighbor to like wander about you've got community gardens you've got places like I think that does build like real community but clearly that's not profitable obviously speculation we've made it so that in Canada speculation in these markets of like one bedroom apartments in Toronto and Vancouver and I think to a certain extent Calgary and uh and maybe Edmonton as well have made this like really profitable really profitable although I think The only difference here is that like we're not restricted by sprawl. Like we have a bunch of people who are either students or um, you have a bunch of those, you know, one bedroom, two bedroom professional rentals, like either long term or short term close to downtown core, at least before COVID. And then you have a bunch of people that live either on the very outskirts of the cities or in these massive sprawling suburbs that are also not Mm -hmm. that family friendly.
1: No, and they're expensive for our cities.
0: They are expensive. And when you think about like how much people must be profiting off of that to buy farmland at a discount, get the city to rubber stamp it, and then sell it to us as at the same time, those same interests are gutting our downtown core and making it absolutely unusable if it's not an oil company that wants to like uh anchor there as head office you know like there is nothing you know having been the kind of person that would take my baby on the sea train and go to the zoo there is absolutely nothing pleasant about being a mother strolling through downtown calgary it's a lot of exhaust it's a lot of garb well it's not necessarily garbage garbage but like it doesn't feel safe and I'm not talking about vagrancy or homeless people because like I don't give a shit I'm talking about like massive amounts of cars and the sidewalks were not built for me um you know and that's how do people who just work downtown and and need a wheelchair feel like fuck man like these cities are not built for us anyway
1: no they're not that's a whole nother I was like, that's a whole nother episode, but I completely agree. And it is the things that are driving the prices of houses up. Um, But back to a couple more changes. Um, We talked about the stress test. The second one they have is actually an increased credit score to 680 points. I think that's up from 660.
0: Yeah. Remember how we talked about credit scores, though? And I said, look at yours as soon as you get the mortgage. And how it goes up. When you pay off a mortgage, it goes up too. So we're incentivizing people who, again, have like purchased multiple properties, either through financing or otherwise, and have gotten in in a lower, like when things cost less, right? And we're saying we're we're restricting those folks. And so I don't think that does anyone who's coming in with like a starting salary at 40000 or $50,000 um, with a couple of credit cards and student debt, um, who maybe had the, you know, in terms of credit score, like maybe was born near people that also had shit credit scores because some of that's built into the postal code where you started your your credit history. I don't actually think that does a hell of a lot. You're again, like, good credit comes from buying and selling properties with that had mortgages on them so
1: I mean credit scores are not a great measure of financial um, responsibility
0: yeah and speaking about like credit scores and and paying off mortgages if we look at the 2019 rates only 36 percent of us like not including people who have just like had a house back in the day, like 1999, that kind of thing, and just were at the end of their mortgages anyway. So um, accounting for age and that kind of thing, only 36% of us have paid off our mortgage. And it's kind of funny to see that we've got, um, you know, so many folks that have multiple properties, and um, meanwhile we only have like thirty-six percent of people paying off their mortgages. So I wonder how many of those are like people like us who will only ever own one home, perhaps at all. Right? Um, so I don't think that does new home buyers any favors, nor does it do anyone who's like a low middle income person any favors tying no. into a credit score.
1: I agree with you. What um else we got? the next, the third item is the maximum gross debt ratio or GDS is now 35% and that's down Mm -hmm. from 39 and the maximum total debt service ratios of the TDS is now down to 42% um, from 44%. So I know we talked about this in the previous season, but do you want to go through what those two are really quick?
0: Oh, sure. Now you're like testing my memory here. So we've
1: that I was, I was relying on you, man. The total debt service ratio is the percentage of gross annual income required to cover all other debts and loans, um, in addition to the cost of servicing the property and the mortgage. So principal interest taxes and heat.
0: Oh, sorry. Yeah, they both include heat. They're both over your gross, but your total will include all your other debt obligations. So
1: if you have a car payment.
0: If you have a car payment, if you have a student loan, if for some reason you decided to like take a, a bachelor's and a master's in something that your career afterwards doesn't pay all that well, and you um, weren't lucky enough to have it fully funded through scholarships, I don't know how many of those folks are out there, but uh, that TDSR is going to fuck you over. hmm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, housing prices, even for this, the GDSR, um, that will also fuck you over if you um, are in one of those industries where your um, income has stagnated or has um, decreased substantially.
1: Yeah. And so the, the last one is um, borrowed funds will no longer count towards your down payment, which is like so stunning to me that up until this point, you could literally borrow money to Or more money. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's really sad. Like I think the places I think where that was misused is where you would go to like one lender and say, hey, like loan me 5,000 bucks so that you can get to the 10%, which I think is not great. Um, I think one of those places where this might actually take a little bit of a bite out of The smaller landlords, um, maybe in the Toronto and Vancouver areas, is no longer, I hope anyway, no longer you could get uh, a line of credit against property A and use it to finance property B, um, Mm. as long as they are still, you know, not only looking at this in terms of insured mortgages, and as long as you can't take out, um, you know, basically the value of the second home. So I guess if you're taking a line of credit out against a multi-million dollar property to just buy a million dollar property like you're still in the clear because you're not getting a mortgage so apparently we don't care about that which is like I think we should be restricting some of the cash purchases too like if we're really concerned about really putting a cap and slowing down um, the massive massive increase in housing prices that we've seen in Canada over the past few years
1: yeah. And so this is a small percentage of the population, but I was also thinking about um, med students and their huge ass line of credits that they get. So my sister just graduated med school. So hopefully she's listening to this episode. <laughs> Hi sister. If you're, if you are, but um, I think a lot of times, so there's a couple things that are really interesting about med students is I think that they were probably able to pull from their line of credit to buy houses um, while they were doing their, their, their school. But also I found out that they can actually qualify at their post residency salary for a mortgage. So that means if they make like 50 K in residency, and that kind of goes up every year, let's say a five-year residency program, they might make like 75 by the end of it. Their salary afterwards though, is like multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars. So they're like, allowing people to qualify with their future income.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have a problem with that for a variety of reasons. Like I think it can be misused, but like also what happens if something changes? Like, isn't the whole point of this like increase of add 2% or whatever is higher um, in terms of the stress test and interest rates to say like, listen, like we're not going to be at uh, bottom of the barrel interest rates forever we have to start looking at this and saying can you still afford this home when interest rates rise what happens if someone is a surgeon and they get in a fucking car accident and break their hands yeah. like what if they're a, a new doctor and you know they haven't gotten the the insurance programs that other folks have what happens if you decide to you know? have kids and you end up having two or four or six or whatever and you need. Oh my god to bless people that have mortgage. six children well yeah or with like what if you have a kid with disabilities what if you have to take care of a parent like there's so many what-if scenarios and I feel like there's when qualifying for mortgages there is nothing built into our qualification rules other than maybe this stupid 2% or 5%, whichever is higher, which is absolutely bonkers when you consider what our parents were paying in interest, but nothing to say, hey, what the fuck happens if life happens? There's no contingency. Nobody's planning for this other than saying like, hey, you probably should have like some other savings, like some kind of an emergency fund, except like you've literally had to put your life savings into a down payment because our real estate prices are sky high it's it's not incentivizing the right things. And the other things that I have to say about that in terms of like, um, where our best and brightest are putting their talents, like if we want to put it that way, we're incentivizing people to only go to school for high paying careers. I think that there is just enough, uh, just as much to be gained as somebody doing a medical degree as there is from somebody doing a PhD in history. You know what I mean? Like, we need everyone. And to to say that someone's PhD is not worth as much as someone's medical degree, I find that really disheartening. They've gone to school yeah. for the same amount of time. They're both experts in their field. And just because someone's not going to get paid as much, like, I, I don't love that. You're saying that if you're smart, you can only be a doctor or you can only be, you know, I don't know, somebody in like really high finance or something like that.
1: Yeah, That's and brutal. we need we need different types of people in our society. Just like we need different mm-hmm. housing um, to make our communities diverse. We, we need different jobs.
0: We actually need a society and community and not just like, A bunch of us all isolated and alone and not relying on anyone for anything else like yeah we need good neighbors and um we also need people to get a variety of degrees and different i have
1: the best neighbor seriously we are so lucky she has been like our bubble during covid because she lives alone and thank god i have to say for her so yeah you know living in the inner city and having wonderful neighbors is a great thing and i think you know, we would not be able to live in the area we live in if it wasn't for, you know, the fourplex that we live in. We would not be able to afford uh, a house in the area we live in because they're like over a million dollars. I mean, I, we probably could qualify for one, but we would be very, very, very house poor.
0: hmm hmm and who wants that, really? You get so tied, you know, and then through this um, uh, COVID pandemic as well, If you were one of the folks that happened to be house poor and, um, you know, lost your job or something like that, even if you wanted to go into a different industry, you're kind of at the mercy of whatever someone will hire you at so you can keep making those payments. That's unreasonable. I I think that's pretty shit, actually. I think that's a pretty shitty thing to do to all of Canadians, so... Yeah. Is there anything else that's changed? Is, is there any hope that these things will make a difference and actually stop speculation and actually do anything for us poor millennials and zoomers that like, I don't know, we couldn't buy a house in 1972. So I guess fuck
1: us. Well, short of building a time machine. I'm going to say no. I think, yeah, unfortunately, I don't think these measures are going to stop those areas from going up in price I think taxing these people who have multiple properties, um, or you know, a suggestion like you had, where if you make over X percent per year on your home and then you sell it, then that's taxed. Um, I think otherwise, yeah, it is very unaffordable for people to get in the market. And can I also just say that, and this is also not really, well, it's kind of house related, but on the topic of property taxes, um, let's say like you did buy a house in 1972 in the inner city of Vancouver Toronto or Calgary or Edmonton, and your house is worth over a million dollars, but it's like pretty run down. You're an old little lady that lives in that house who... You know, doesn't have a lot of income on a month-to-month basis. Paid off your mortgage because it was like $3, that's how much your mortgage was. Our property taxes right now are regressive in a sense, because just because you own that house does not mean you have the means to pay for those property taxes. So I think there could also be something on a municipal level that's either income tested or um, something to do with cash flow into your home around that, that could also not only make it more affordable for people to own homes, um, but also, I guess, maybe penalize people who are hoarding homes um, in these metropolitan areas. Because, yeah, I mean, our property taxes this year are $4,000. And that's a lot for a lot of people every year. And our home is not worth anywhere close to six or anywhere close to seven figures, pardon me.
0: I think it would be great to talk about um, a different revenue structure for municipalities because I think municipalities offer us our most important services, right? They offer us our garbage collection. They offer us our pathways. They offer us our public transit. They offer us everything that we need where we live, right? Um, But they get the shit end of the stick when it comes to, like, tax revenue. They literally only have property tax, and then the province takes, like, a huge-ass chunk of that and then Mm -hmm. holds it back from them. Like, what the hell? Like, again, if we could just centralize our tax structure or, like, make use of federal dollars a little bit more and make sure that they flowed better to the municipalities, that we didn't have people, you know, on rundown sidewalks where they you know can't push a stroller or have a wheelchair or um, you know can't have public transit so that they can easily get like to their friend's house without having a car if they're not able to drive or if they choose not to or like get to work easily or you know just not be pushed out of the city center mm-hmm. because basically we're so reliant on house values and builders and people who don't actually have the best necessarily the best interests of community at heart yeah i think that makes a really good point about how property taxes are structured and i think too you know to have so many people renting in toronto vancouver in the city centers um, of most metropolitan places across canada but then not have really any say of where like their rent money which is then I assume being used to pay property taxes like not being taken as seriously because they don't directly pay property taxes I think is a bit bonkers as well yeah you know they fucking live there like I would much rather listen to a tenant about what they need in their community and I don't give a fuck if it's like 80 percent um tenants and like 20 percent homeowners like if somebody who fucking lives there says they need public transit then I'm sorry, the tax dollars go to fucking public transit.
1: Well, yeah, it has to be based on who is the majority of people living in that area. What do they need to have a community that's going to support them?
0: But I just think it's like really fucked up that um, Calgary specifically, because I grew up there and stuff, Like, I just think it's really fucked up that there's still like not really great transit from the Northeast to anywhere
1: Oh, don't even get me started about public transit and the train, Tara, like Jesus Christ. All we need to do, all we need to do is look at the map of Vienna and take their transit. They have a river running through the city. They have a, honestly, about the exact same number of people. And superimpose the train lines onto Calgary. And if you can see me, which no one else can, but Tara can, I am putting one claw on of my hand on top of the other hand and then that is our train system that's it that's all we need to do it's been done before anyways
0: but I think it's really fucked up that we have new train lines going to new communities that um, have property values that are skyrocketing and we have all of these things and and features going to these communities that have high home ownership but then tenants like the folks that live in Dover and Forest Lawn like have to take like fucking three transfers to get from their house in Forest Lawn to their their work in the industrial section of southeast Calgary I think that's bonkers I think that's fucked up that just because we have low property ownership in certain parts of the city that they never fucking get anything I think that's bullshit Agreed. Absolute fucking bullshit. Um, So I see a lot of that. I see a lot of people that have a lot of time on their hands able to, like, dictate where municipal funds go. And, yeah, better tax structure for municipalities to go off of would be great. But do we want to, like, wrap this up? Like, what's our pink tax rebate in terms of, like, the fucking property hoarders in Canada and, like, maybe housing prices and mortgages and, like, yeah. Yeah. Should people even be saving for a down payment right now, Janine? Like, what do you think? Is it worth it?
1: (laughs) I think a couple things. So I think of municipalities and, you know, there's an election in Calgary coming up in the fall here. And I think there's one in Edmonton too. Like, these are questions that we should be asking our our mayoral candidates. Like, how are you going to update and make the municipal tax system more progressive Um, so I think there's something to be done there I also think that they're on to something in Vancouver and I think now in Kelowna around that um, foreign tax on people who own properties that like aren't being occupied I think it's like 15 percent I think there's something there
0: I think there's a nugget there I think it's a little weird to say like only if you're foreign. I think that's odd because we have a lot of homegrown speculators in those markets too. So I think it should just be like a vacant house tax.
1: Yeah. So so maybe, yes, it needs to be expanded to house hoarders. Um, And I'm not talking about the show. Is that what it's called? Home hoarders, house hoarders?
0: I think it's house hunters, but I think home hoarders is a much better title for it. Well done.
1: Okay, we're starting a show in twenty twenty two called Home <laughs> uh where we just like have therapy for people who just can't get over not owning homes. Because I think that that's my last point is we need to reevaluate what we're thinking in terms of why homeownership is seen as this like pinnacle of adulthood. That's all I have. That's all she wrote. <laughs>
0: you enjoyed this week's episode. Let us know what you think on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Pink Tax Podcast is recorded in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta.
1: Our music is provided by Margot. You can find her work at noisebymargo.com. Sound editing by Peter Dobson. If you'd like to support the Pink Tax Podcast, you can make a donation at liberapay.com slash pinktaxpodcast and submit a five-star review on Apple Podcasts.